Well, tonight we're in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. And I will um, read to you from verses 15 to 21. Actually, it's 20 and 21 we're in here tonight. Before we begin, let's bow together for prayer. Father, thank you for this time where this little band of believers has gathered here to study together, and we pray that you will bless us with uh, good things from this, your word, to our hearts. Help us to uh, make the most of this opportunity to receive from this, your word, everything that we can. And help us, dear Lord, to be a thankful people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me read starting in verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So the Apostle Paul in this section of his letter is, giving instructions to the church of Ephesus on what they can do to be wise as believers. And in verse 15, he says that they should be careful in their spiritual walk and not be fools. And in verse 16, he says that they should be redeeming the time for the days are evil. And in verse 17, he says that they should understand what the will of the Lord is. And in verse 18, he tells them not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit, he says, will mean that believers will be speaking to one another and singing to one another in their worship of God and making melody in their hearts to the Lord. So to further explain this, I said to you in my last study that this means that you will cultivate your personal devotion to God by meditating upon the book of Psalms often. And then flowing out of that devotion, you'll be bringing the fruit of that devotion to the worship service of the whole church. And thus your fellowship with every believer there will be better established to the glory of God. Now a real part of your fellowship with believers there at the church is going to be if you can give thanks, it says here, for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So first of all, I want to ask tonight, what, it, what is it, um, why is it so important to give thanks always to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, it's important because you're giving thanks. The Father thanks, as it says here, is always an act of faith. It's an act of trust in His providential ordering of all things in your life. You're saying that you acknowledge that He is sovereign, that He's in control of everything in your life. And you're saying that He is righteous and that He is good in everything 
that he orders for your life and the life, lives of everyone around you. <clears throat> you're giving thanks as you're expressing to him in your own words, the words of your mind and heart, this truth. That which comes out on your tongue in your prayers and communion with him and others in the church affirms this to him. So when you're learning to give thanks always, you can be assured that it will become the established attitude of your mind and heart over time. According to the context of the verses that we're studying, this giving of thanks to God should often be taking place in the context of our fellowship and communion with one another in the local church. And together then we lift up his name in public worship and we praise him and we thank him for all that he is to us and all that he does for us. We give him thanks for how he leads us and guides us through this life. So concerning giving thanks in his name, Thomas Manton in his sermon on this verse says this, The name of God is that by which he is made known in his word or works, as we are to propagate to others what knowledge we get of God by his word, so also what we have found of grace and mercy. This is one part of the communion of saints, to call upon others to praise God with us, as one bird sets the whole flock a-chirping, he said. I want you to look with me over at Psalm 100 so that we can understand this a little bit better. Psalm 100 and Mari Lena, if you'll read that psalm for us, I will appreciate it. A psalm of thanksgiving. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. Mm -hmm. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving, and into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him, and bless His name. For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generations. Now, when you look at this psalm, what kind of acts of praise and thanksgiving do you find here? It's called a psalm of thanksgiving in the heading. But what kind of acts of thanksgiving do you see here in this psalm? And it's all through this psalm. So it ought not to be too hard for you to come up with it. What would you say? Joyful shout. Serve. Yeah. Uh, singing. Mm -hmm. Coming before his presence mm -hmm. was singing. Now those are Praising. yeah, those are acts of worship in the public worship, aren't they? Uh, but they begin. I've been trying to show you here in private, um, like when you. Uh, anticipate coming to worship. Uh, can you imagine yourself shouting? See, I think I think sometimes we just don't quite grasp what what um, 
what the Lord would have of us, or at least that we would think about in relation to our giving thanks, that um, I think that there ought to be an anticipation uh, in our hearts, so great an anticipation that we would even shout in our heart. I mean, why would these folks shout in their heart, would you think, in the Old Testament times? Well, I think it's because they were going up to Jerusalem, they were going up to the temple, they were going up to offer sacrifices, not only animal, but of praise and worship and adoration to God. And I just want you to notice the, the wonder of what is said here in these verses, that you and I are called to serve the Lord with gladness and to come before His presence with singing. But I'm saying, how can you really do that? How can you really participate if you aren't already doing that uh, in private? Well, I think it's a lot harder isn't it? I think it's a lot harder. Uh, what is it the Lord wants us to know? Verse 3. That He is God. Amen. And he made us. Yeah, that He made us. Mm -hmm. And not we ourselves. What? How, how does that pertain to our worship then? Of Him and service of Him. That he made us. That's like when we do the children's catechism in Bible club. He made us for his glory. Mm -hmm. So we ought to glorify him. Yeah. Because he made us and he takes care of us. Amen. He made us and he takes care of us. And that's really the right answer altogether. We haven't made ourselves, but he has made us. And even in... Our salvation, and verse 3 there, were his people uh, through Jesus Christ our Lord, and we are the sheep of his pasture. Well, if we see it that way, if we see ourselves as sheep that are being pastured by the Lord and uh, brought into um, this place where he cares for us uh, very personally very intimately, very spiritually, then shouldn't we be able to come into His courts with praise and be thankful to Him, to bless His name? And because, verse 5, the Lord is good and His mercy is everlasting, which is something that ought to set your heart on fire. His mercy is everlasting. In a, in a multitude of your mercies, I will come into your temple. You know, we, we just need to, we need to think about that when we worship the Lord. We need to think about the, the fact that He cares for us so, so well. Um, that He's shown us mercy, that God commends his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. Um, 
that the Lord has given us spiritual life. Uh, and so when you come to worship, I think this psalm is indicating that you um, could come with a shout in your heart. <laughs> Even though you might not come shouting in the parking lot or shouting in the church or anything like that. But, uh, that you would shout for joy that the Lord has given you so much in the knowledge of Himself. I, I'm saying that there's a kind of an eagerness there. Uh, a, a thankfulness that you have in your heart because you're going to meet with God and you're going to give Him the glory which is due His name. And you can serve Him with gladness, like I've said. You can come before Him with singing. And uh, I want, to, want you to see here how praise and thanksgiving go hand in hand in worship, in living and in living your Christian life to God. Listen to what Thomas Manton says again. He says, Praise relates to God's excellencies. Thanksgiving to God's benefits. There is a twofold thanksgiving. By way, first of all, by way of celebration or commemoration, when we speak of God's mercies to one another, and second, by way of invocation, that is, calling upon His name or extolling His greatness in adoration or worship when we express them to God. So, we need to see from what Manton's saying here that our thanksgiving is a thanksgiving by way of commemoration, as he says. When we communicate to others what experience we have had of God. Do you see that? Uh, when it says in our, in our text there, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, uh, making melody in your heart, you know, that means that you come prepared to worship God. You're prepared in your spirit to not only worship Him, you yourself, vertically, but also then to be able to uh, also uh, worship with your brethren in, term, in this terms of what he's talking about here, of speaking uh, to others, telling others what the Lord has done for you personally. Now, I, again, I don't know if you think about this, but I think that oftentimes in our fellowship with each other on Sunday, we don't, I don't think we, that we interact with each other enough over the things that I'm talking about here, the things that the Lord is showing us. And this is, by the way, the reason that I'm going to be starting up this prayer and sharing time here on the 30th. The reason for this is, is so that we can do this. Uh, I hope that you can see this. Because I think it will be of great benefit uh, to our church when we speak to each other the things that are on our heart, the things that the Lord has shown us, the things that, that the hymn that we would like to sing, the prayer that we would like to offer. We need to see that it's a sharing, it's a participation 
with each other. It is a koinonia. It is a fellowship that we have with one another. Look over with me at Psalm 66, verses 16 to 20. And Vicki, if you could read that for us, it would be great. Come and hear, all you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. All right, thanks for reading that, Vicki. Notice that this psalm starts out the same way that Psalm 100 does. Make a joyful shout, all the earth. But when you think about these words, I want you to see the spirit of thanksgiving here. Uh, What is this psalmist desiring to do when he comes into the assembly of God's people? What is he doing in verse 16? Yeah, he he wants to declare. You know, notice the first phrase: "Come and hear, all you who fear God." And then, as Vicky said, "Yes, I I will declare what God has done for my soul." Now, I think that this begins in the waters of baptism when you first come to faith in Christ, when you give a public testimony uh, of your faith in Christ. But I think it's more than that, and that's what I'm trying to show you here tonight. I want you to notice the fervent desire which is displayed by the psalmist to call out to others in the assembly, the sacred assembly, that they would come and hear what God had done for his soul. It's an earnest, fervent desire. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. And again, this is not just in salvation, but there are many points in our Christian life where it should be our earnest desire to, to tell others in our church what God is doing in our life, in our heart, in our mind, what he has shown us in the scriptures, what, what he has experientially taught us by his word and in our experience. So I believe that what this is saying here is that this should be our desire in our New Testament sacred assembling of ourselves together to be able to tell others what God has done for our soul. How often do you tell others what how God has helped you uh, in some situation that was very difficult for you, great, greatly difficult, where you felt overwhelmed? where you were maybe even distressed, and yet the Lord helped you. This is amazing, amazing words here. He says, um, I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. Now that word extolled, is, is, it means to, to set it forth, your thanksgiving and praise to God uh, in it, in an audible way, I would think. I mean, you could do this in your heart, I'm sure. 
but how much better in either in the great assembly or, or personally with other people in fellowship with them that you extol uh, God with your mouth, with your tongue. And then it goes on to say, if I regard iniquity or sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear. So what is it that hinders our fellowship with God and keeps us from being people of praise, according to that verse? It said, somehow I'm regarding iniquity in my heart. And that may be a very subtle thing. And by that I mean it may be something as simple as unbelief. That you're, you're down, you're discouraged, you're fretful, you're worried about things, and yet you're not believing that God is right there to minister to your need. And I think that's what he's talking about here, at least on one level, because he says, certainly God has heard me. And he has attended to the voice of my prayer. Now, you think about it with me, but how can you really pray without faith? Well, you really can't. Because when you pray, you're lifting up your voice to God, believing that he hears you. And believing all these things that I've already said to you here tonight, that he is good that he thinks about you personally, and all the details of your life, that he is sovereign in the way that he uh, orders all these things. Well, I'm just saying, have you asked God to help you even to tell other people how he has helped you? And you know something? He will give you opportunities to do that. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. And he will encourage your soul uh, through the scriptures and through that means, by the way, of the Spirit's working in your life and you're responding to it. So in doing this, what is your object? This uh, what we're talking about here. Well, it's you want others to see God more clearly. That's what it is. And you want to help them to understand better. So there is an importance, I'm saying, of cultivating your personal relationship with Christ in this holy way so that you will walk more closely with Christ yourself. Now second, what are the things that we should be uh, thanking God always for in the presence of our brethren? Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another, still the same sentence, in the fear of God. So the submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord goes along with giving thanks always for all things. Do you see that? To God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So we have to try to understand that. The way that this is worded here, should lead us to understand the all things which we are to be giving thanks for to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what would those things be, would you think, according to the context of these two verses? I mean, you don't have to, you can name all kinds of different things. 
I'm eventually going to narrow it down to the one I think the context determines mostly. <laughs> so you can give me a number of things that um, that you give thanks for, giving thanks always for. No, notice the wording. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. I think it has to do with, like you say, lots of things, but just uh, God's sovereignty and just in our geogra geography, mm -hmm. where we're at. Yes. Sitting in a pew across from Brother Turner here. Yeah. Most Sunday mornings, right? <laughs> Things like that really coming down to the basic, really the rubber beats the road kind of mm -hmm. things. That, uh, that just doesn't happen. There's a plan, a purpose. And that is exactly right, Brian. That is exactly right. And that's what I'm. That's what I'm looking for. When we think about this verse here, because the all things which were to be giving thanks for to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ are not only all the blessings of our salvation, although we ought to give thanks always for that, but also the people of God in the church that he has placed us in. Do you see that? That's the context here because it would never include verse 21 if it wasn't the case, but it does. In other words, Paul is indicating that we ought to be able to give thanks for them. That is, the other believers in the local church. And we ought to be willing to submit to one another in the fear of God. Now this connection that I just made to you may not be apparent to you unless you do a study in a concordance of the word thank. But if you do this, you will most definitely see it. Now let me show it to you here, and I want you to turn with me over to Romans chapter 1 and verse 8. I want you, Brian, if you would, to read um, from verse 8 to um, verse 12, if you will. Of Romans chapter 1. First I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Make a request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some virtual gift so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I wonder if you see any similarity between what Brian just read for us and the verses that we're studying tonight. Do you see any similarity there? Notice how he starts off there in verse 8. First, I thank, there's the same word, I thank my God through Jesus Christ, same words, for you. 
Then he goes on to elaborate for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. And watch this, that without ceasing I make mention of you always. There's that word always again. In my prayers, making request, if by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Why, do, why does Paul want to come to them? What does he say? Why does Paul long to come to them? He wants to impart some spiritual gift to them. That's exactly right. He, wants, he longs to come to them so that he might impart some spiritual gift to, to them. And so that they might be established, I mean, firm, more firmly established in their faith, not being moved away from the hope of the sure hope of the, the gospel. I, this is really extraordinary stuff. Because if you think of the principle that is enunciated here, this is the same reason why we ought to long to be with each other Sunday by Sunday in order to be able to impart something spiritual to each other. And we can do it, brethren, because we have the Holy Spirit and we have gifts and we have the grace to be able to think about others in the church and what they might need to be established and encouraged uh, together with ourselves by the mutual faith both of myself and yourself or yourself and myself or yourself and other people in the church. And what a great thing this is when you have these kind of longings in your heart. That's what I'm trying to get at here. But part of the process of this is giving thanks always for all things. And the all things are the people, the other believers in your local church. That's what I'm trying to, to get at. If you can give thanks for them, you can also learn to pray for them. And... Submit to them. Now, Paul, by using this word submit, the word is hupotasso in the Greek. He's telling the believers there in Rome that they should be able to receive instruction in the word. They should be able to receive advice and encouragement from other believers in the assembly so that the whole body will be built up together and become more like Christ himself as a result. Do you see that? That's what he means by this word, submit. He's not just trying to say, now you need to go up to the nearest believer and say, submit to me. That's <laughs> not what he's talking about. It's not a forced thing at all. This is something that is done by encouraging other believers. Do you see it? Uh, with what you have to be able to give them by way of encouragement, instruction, and or advice from the Scriptures. Now, 
this is confirmed for us if we'll go over to Romans chapter 15 and verses 13 and 14. Romans chapter 15 and verses 13 and 14. And David, if you'll read that for me, I'd appreciate it. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Now you'll notice here that um, he starts out with um, talking about the God of hope. And he's talking about the God of hope filling you, uh, filling all of you in the church at Rome, Paul to the church at Rome, filling all of you with all joy and peace in believing. In other words, there's sort of, there, what, what is it that he's talking about there? The God of hope. Why, why would he word it that way? Fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Well, that wasn't very much fun in those days and sort of a, in a lot of ways because of the persecutions and all that stuff. Well, that is true. That's most certainly true. But, uh, but it's more than that, though, too, because um, he's talking about a principle here that takes place in every local church in all times during the church age. Do you see that? The principle is, is that the God of hope, the one who gives you hope, a sure hope in Jesus Christ, and then who works in your heart to reveal to you uh, many good things from the Scriptures so that you might be a help to other folks, not just yourself, that you might abound in this kind of hope that we're talking about here. The things that give you hope give other people hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then, he says, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness and filled with all knowledge and able also to admonish one another. What does he mean by admonish? Do you know? What's Paul getting at here? What? What's he saying uh, to the believers here? Part of it surely encouragement, but that's more than that, I think. Definitely. It can be, in a sense, discouragement in terms of rebukes, maybe even like that. Mm -hmm. so. Well, to admit, yeah, go ahead, Hannah. I was just going to say, it reminds me of when. Um, Priscilla and Aquila pulled Apollos aside when he when he wasn't saying things very accurately. Excellent. And told him better. Uh, Excellent. Now that's a very very apt example of what I'm trying to get at here. Because can you imagine uh, the gift that Apollos had? Number one, I mean. He was a very great and eminent man because he had this gift 
to be able to speak in this almost amazing and extraordinary way. And so much so that in, in Corinthians it says that some say that they're of Apollos and some of Paul and some of Cephas. And we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. But do you think that it, it took, um, how do I want to put this, that it took um, courage to, because that's what they were doing with him. They were admonishing him. Do you think it took courage? And do you think it took love on their part, real Christian love on their part, to be able to do that, for him to take him aside and explain to him more carefully the Word of God? Now, sometimes people, when you try to do that with them, they, they take offense. But evidently, uh, Apollos did not. And he received it from them and benefited by it greatly, right? At least that's the impression that I get from it, that he benefited from it greatly. So what I'm trying to say is if my brother is trying to share something with me which will be of spiritual or practical value to me, I will receive it. And I will submit to him. Do you see the connection now? And I will submit to him in it by listening to him and receiving what it is that he's trying to tell me. Do you see it? Now that is a very great thing to take place in a New Testament local church. When you see that kind of a good thing going on, and I'm talking about a good thing, I'm not trying to I'm not talking about a person going around trying to force people to his own opinions of this, that, or the other thing. I'm talking about someone who, who, who has hope and then wants to be able to give others around him that same hope, and he sees something that he can do to help them uh, in their life. Something that he's read in the Scriptures, something that he's experienced in relation to them, something that he has learned from by the Lord himself teaching him. And by the way, the Lord does himself teach us, even though we are unaware of how close he is to us at many points. And the Lord himself is teaching us and leading us along by his Spirit, showing us many good things. So I, I'll, I'll submit to him by listening to him, receiving what it is he's trying to tell me, because I know that it's a part of the body life. That he has a gift, that he has insight, that God has given him wisdom, and maybe I haven't seen certain things yet. Maybe I need to be helped. Uh, maybe I need to be encouraged. And this is how it takes place according to what we're reading here tonight. It begins with giving thanks always for all things. Do you see that? And then it leads to submission and being able to help and give other people hope. It's a wonderful, it's a powerful thing which can take place. I'm saying in the life of a church by the power of the Holy Spirit working in your hearts. Look also at uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 4 to 10. And 
And Hannah, you can read that for me if you want to. 1 Corinthians 1, 4 to 10. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go ahead and read verse 10. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. All right. Well, there it is. In fact, um, there, there was a testimony here. I want you to see, before we read a few more verses here, and, and I'll re- have you read the, the next few verses as well. Um, in a minute, but I want you to see here what a wonderful testimony there was of the grace of God given to them as a church. Do you see that there? They were enriched in everything. You got? Do you see that? They were enriched in everything. By him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God is faithful, by whom you are called in the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. But then, all of a sudden, you see a turn here. And he says, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same things, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, Hannah, I want you to read down from verse 11 to um, verse 17. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. Now I did baptize also the household of Stephanaeus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. All right, thanks for that, Hannah. Now, there were those in the church there, and Paul was informed of this, he says, by Chloe's household, that there were contentions among them. In the margin, it says quarrels. And he says, now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. What uh, what were these folks doing, do you think? And there's two categories of people, I think, in terms of the answer you give to me. One is the ones that were saying, I am of Christ. 
and the others are saying, I am a, a Paul, Apollos, or Cephas. The ones who are saying, I am of Paul and Apollos and Cephas, what were they doing? Placing the trust in men. Well, that is true in a general sense, but it's more than that too, isn't it? They were actually dividing up over these teachers, and they were sort of uh, disqualifying one or the other of them based upon whether they thought they could receive their teaching, the authority of it, to themselves so that they would be able to benefit from it. So some were saying, I was a, I'm was a Paul, and then others were saying, no, no, he hasn't, he hasn't got everything that we need in this question, but we need to listen to Apollos. And then others were saying, no, no, you need to listen to Cephas. And so they were quarreling over this, it says. Now, what were, as the follow-up question, what does it mean when they were saying, I am of Christ? What were those people trying to do when they gave that answer? I think it was in the day when the, there was no... No scripture. Right. That's right. And so um, God did use these men to give up. I don't know how you put it. Yeah, that's right. You know what I mean. Yeah, to give revelatory knowledge. Revelatory knowledge. Well. <laughs> uh, to the churches. And then uh, some perhaps did. Well, Christ is the last. What he said was the end of it. That That's exactly right, Brian, because. What they were trying to do when they were trying to say that, they were saying, I, we don't have to talk about this whole thing because Christ is the final authority. We have his words, and since we have his words, we'll only listen to his words, and we won't, it won't matter about these teachers or their authority. But it does matter. Do you see that? And so it's, it's like, if you say that, I'm of Christ only, it's like a false spirituality, it means that you can't really submit to anybody who is teaching or their authority that God's given to them as a pastor, teacher, or in this case we're talking about apostles or messengers to the churches in the first century. So it's, it's really, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal and there's a lot of people uh, today in the churches that are somewhat like this that they divide up over various teachers, and they don't want to recognize the authority that is vested in a pastor or the authority that is vested in a person who is called to preach and teach on the wider, broader level of the whole church. And there are such persons. They are not apostles. They just have a wider ministry. What I'm trying to say to you tonight is that we ought to be able to receive these men if they're preaching and teaching the Word of God, then we need to be able to receive it if they're rightly handling it. Now, we may have to check with our pastor or talk with each other about whether they are holding fast to the Word of God, but we don't need to divide up into little cliques of people who say, well, you know, I can listen to Pastor Rendell, but I can't accept this or I can't accept that. If you can't, you need to talk to him. And he should be able to receive you. You see what I'm saying? And, and, and if either he admonish you or you admonish him, 
And then what? And then the whole church goes forward because we're on the same page. But it can't happen if people are continually questioning and arguing over or not whether there is authority. Like Brian was saying in the, in the Word of God, they, they didn't have that authority established in the Scriptures, the New Testament Scriptures yet, but they did have authority vested in those persons. Those called persons. That doesn't mean those called persons were infallible. We need to understand that. At one point, uh, Paul had to uh, rebuke Peter, if you'll recall. It's mentioned there in the book of Galatians. But I'm simply saying that that's the exception to the rule rather than the rule. But in the verses that we're looking at here, I'm using this in terms of our being able to submit to one another. Do you see that on the smaller level of, of the local church? It seems that that submission is a big key in that, too. And there has to be a lot of humility on both sides. There has to be. That uh, very good. Work. Because yeah. if there's not, then it's just going to cause all kinds of friction and divisions. And divisions. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. Humility is the key to all this. Exactly right, Jenny. So... I'm trying to show you that these persons in Corinthians church, they ought to have been able to submit to any of the apostles, but not to have set up one above another in terms of whose teaching they would submit to. And Christ would want that for them, wouldn't he? Yes, he would. And I'm trying to show you it's a very important principle of truth for us to receive in our living our Christian life, to be able to submit to one another. Uh, in the local church is a very great thing. It is a very wonderful thing, you know, if, it, if it's in humility and in righteousness like uh, Jenny was just mentioning um, a moment ago. We need to uh, submit to one another in the fear of God, it says here, and always um, see the men who are truly called to the ministry as gifts to our church and to the whole church, even those men, like I've been mentioning, who are uh, outside of our, our church, if we have them come to us to uh, have a, a conference at our church, which that we would receive them, that we would um, be able to submit to the things that are being taught during that time, that we would receive it with a view to be able to communicate it to others and, and build not only ourselves up, but many other people up as well, uh, because we believe that the body of Christ is bigger than the local church. If their ministry reaches that far to us, and sometimes men's ministries will reach that far to us, and we need to be able to receive it. And then finally, uh, the final verse is Philippians 1, 3 to 11. And Matt, if you could read that for us, I'd appreciate it. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. Mm -hmm. 
for God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Thanks for that, man. Now, Paul's giving thanks in every prayer of his is the same kind of language that we have in the text that we're studying tonight in Ephesians 5.20. Giving thanks always for all things, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy. You see what a wonderful participation there is here. There was from the first between Paul and these people. I'm saying that's the kind of participation that we must long for in our own assembly here. The same thing, our fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of these very things that he has begun a good work and you will complete it until the day of Christ. You see, Paul remembered the fellowship and the gospel that he had with them. He remembered the camaraderie and the gospel that he had with them. That's what I want, dear brethren, in this church, is camaraderie in the gospel. Where we have this kind of participation with each other, where we submit to one another in the fear of God, where we give thanks for one another always. The all things are the people. And it was right, I'm trying to show you, for Paul to believe that God, who had begun a good work, would continue it in this way, in their heart. And the reason that he could expect that was because of the real support that they had given to him in his ministry. And you remember, he's in prison at this time when he's writing this. So he knew that they were all partakers with him of grace. And so you see, if the focus of believers in the local church is upon grace, and they know that they are sharers in that grace together, then they can really minister to one another. Well, that's our study for tonight.